What are the main supply chain obstacles we face in coming months? What's the outlook for less than truckload shipments? And more sophisticated barcodes may be coming to a product near you. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Proof of Delivery delivers the most advanced transportation systems to world-leading brands, helping to transform final mile delivery services, boost operational efficiencies, and drive business growth. Armed with the right tools, your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service, fully optimize processes, and supercharge your strategy for continuous improvement. If you're ready to reap the rewards and change the game in your delivery operation, Aptian can help. For more information, visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, supply chains seem to be all over the place during the past year and not always in a good way. To find out what we may have in store for the coming months, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thank you, Dave. Yeah, in the past year, we've all seen tremendous turbulence caused by the the pandemic, created by labor shortages, exacerbated by the peak season rush, and of course, port congestion. But when we look into 2022, experts say there are a variety of new factors that can potentially upend supply chains across the globe. To talk about the potential logistics impacts of some of those factors today, we have our podcast guest, Jason Haith. Uh, Jason, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Ben. Jason is manager at OEC Group Louisville, a global freight forwarder with a focus area in Trans-Pacific trade. Uh, First, let's set the stage. We were talking the other day, and uh, Jason, you were saying that both sailing vessels and the shipping containers on them are out of position across the globe. Uh, Can you give us a reminder of how we got into this position? Uh, Sure. So I think it's been a long and meandering road, um, but what's really kept us where we're at uh, has to do with congestion. Uh, Right now, it's taking vessels just a little better than three weeks to get into the West Coast. And if they're three weeks late getting into places like Los Angeles or Seattle, um, they're also three weeks late in getting back. And that's really what's brought us the vessel cancellations that we've seen late fourth quarter and even into even into this month. Vessels are uh, substantially out of place and steamship lines can't maintain the integrity of those services while so many vessels are sitting over here on the coast for nearly a month waiting to get into ports. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, it's all dominoes, isn't it? Uh, so, so now we're in January, of course, and looking just a few weeks ahead on the calendar, uh, we see the Chinese New Year and also the Beijing Olympics are coming up quickly. Uh, what do those events have to do with shipping containers, and uh, why are you keeping such a close eye on them? Oh, Chinese New Year is always a very busy time uh, in the trans-Pacific trade. Uh, and this year in particular, as I had mentioned, uh, we're looking at substantial vessel capacity deficits for the month of January. Uh, This is particularly odd because January is one of the busiest months 
in the Trans-Pacific as importers try and evacuate all of their goods uh, before everyone goes on holiday over there. Uh, this year will be particularly difficult. Uh, it's evident that not all of the cargo that wants to get out of China is going to get out of China. Uh, and not only does Chinese New Year, uh, New Year loom large, uh, but so to the Olympics. Uh, it's been no secret that China has been very strict uh, with their COVID lockdowns. Uh, and a lot of the support operational type staff, truckers and uh, terminal workers there at the ports, uh, are looking to get home for the new year. Um, anytime I would surmise you get hundreds of millions of people together in airports and train stations and bus stations, uh, the potentiality for a COVID outbreak is, is likely. Uh, and I think the import community in the United States is, is concerned that we may see an extension of Chinese New Year, similar to previous years. So what the market is sort of contending with now is whether or not uh, China will be closed for the entire month of February, um, which puts a huge hamper on importers' ability to get product out, um, especially going into this all-important spring season. Wow, that that's a that's a bracing prospect. Uh, the entire month of February. Yeah. Uh, however, I, I know from our talk um, previously, um, turning again to our calendar of important events uh, for logistics in 2022, you've also circled the date of June 30th, a little farther yeah. down the road. Um, that's the date when the contract expires for the longshoremen and the dock workers at those West Coast ports. I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember the port shutdowns that happened uh, back in 2014, I think it was, in a previous contract negotiation. Are we in line to see anything like that again? Uh, ben, I think it's entirely possible. Um, as I'd mentioned, you know, we're, we're staring down the barrel of, of potentially uh, missing out uh, on February because of an extension of Chinese New Year which means March is going to be spent playing catch up uh, for all of the backlog freight that didn't actually make it out of the country. The difficulties that the import community has faced this year um, have led importers to, to really ask suppliers to reach out to companies like ours for bookings, sometimes between two and four weeks prior to that cargo ready date. So if the month of March is spent really trying to play catch up from the backlog Chinese New Year cargo, um, then just coming off of March, we're getting into April for cargo that would be expected to be ready in May. And it's really not all that difficult to lay out a case, given how long some of these vessels are sitting on the West Coast, for cargo that sails the end of first week of May, that may not be out of the terminals by, by July the 1st when this contract comes due. Um, a lot of people may remember in 2014, the last time this contract was fully renegotiated. I know there was an extension, 2018, I think. Um, but in 2014, when the, the contract was renegotiated, uh, that renegotiation effectively shut the ports down for, for nearly four months. And so in early April this year, it's plausible that importers are making decisions about product they may not necessarily see until October. And from those decisions, I think, I think we see cargo that's diverted. Um, I think we see importers maybe take specific purchase orders and look to reroute them into the country. 
But those are definitely decisions uh, that purchasing managers are going to be making in just the next few months about how to contend with potentially a good part of the remainder of the year. Yeah, I, I, obviously people have to start planning now for such tremendous changes uh, and, and delays there. Um, you, you, you mentioned uh, that the words rerouting and diversion, um, it, it sounds like in our conversation so far about the West Coast ports, if we mm -hmm. see disruptions in those port operations, um, does that mean that the flow of freight uh, might shift geographically uh, by the, where the ships and containers uh, physically go if those ports just can't unload them on the West Coast? It very well could. It very well could. Um, I think at this point now, the import community just has zero appetite for any additional risk. Anything else that would put the viability of that cargo uh, in jeopardy, whether that means being at their door or their DC at a particular date, or whether or not they may even see that product. Importers just, they, there's just no appetite for risk out there. Um, and so I do think that means we see cargo shift geographically. Uh, steamship lines have not been shy at all uh, in introducing these ad hoc sailings. Um, I think we could absolutely see ad hoc sailings to the Gulf and East Coasts. There are already steamship lines that, are, that have arranged sailings that way. Um, and I think as, as, as the potential volume to West Coast decreases, there are only two other places for it to go, which is the Gulf and the East Coast. Those are the only two areas that will, uh, that, that will still be receiving cargo. The labor unions that control Gulf Coast and East Coast ports are not the same. Um, and historically, at least, haven't sort of participated in that solidarity campaign. Um, so if the West Coast does go down, I would fully expect the Gulf Coast and East Coast to remain and really remain the only operative gateways for, for cargo into the country. Really potentially surprising changes there. Um, but of course, you know, those East Coast and Gulf Coast ports uh, are already busy. I, I know we, we, we track the numbers that come out of them and, and they're already up, up to their historic highs. So they're, you know, operating at, at, at full capacity or near so um, already. So, um, you know, if, if a new surge uh, of, of cargo is going to come in there, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll get processed quickly there either. So it um, does not necessarily mean that. Um, and I think you're right. Um, Houston and Savannah in particular um, uh, are are suffering the uh, the slays of congestion. And if cargo from the West Coast were to be rerouted, I don't think there's any way to pick up the volume, even a substantial portion of that volume, and reallocate that across the Gulf or East Coasts in a way that doesn't make things much more difficult than they are even now. Gotcha. So um, wrapping up here, those are some obviously pretty big potential challenges and changes. Um, what advice are you giving your clients about how to mitigate that risk? Um, I think clients really need to take a look at what products are important to them. Um, and I think they need to start planning with their forwarders as early as possible. Uh, prioritizing uh, cargo, uh, prioritizing cargo destinations, uh, I think is really, really important because otherwise importers tend to find themselves sort of standing on the edge of a cliff with everything that's ready to go and everyone and all the destinations need all of the freight 
um, and they're in a they're in a spot where they just can't accommodate everything. So planning early, prioritizing the purchase orders that are really really important, um, and really working with your forwarding company to make sure that uh, that space is available when your goods are ready, I think are the most important keys. Got it. Got it. Good, good lessons to keep in mind. Uh, Jason, this has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, we appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. We've had Jason Haith with us today. He's a branch manager at OEC Group Louisville, a global freight forwarder. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Dave, back to you. Thank you, Jason and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote this week that it looks like the less than truckload shippers should expect increased volumes and higher rates this year. Can you give us the details? Yes, absolutely. Happy to, Dave. Uh, yeah, so the supply chain challenges and constraints that plagued the industry in 2021 are expected to continue this year, as we've been talking quite a bit about recently. Uh, but new data out this week from transportation and supply chain services provider Averett Express reinforces that trend. Uh, the company released its 2022 State of the North American Supply Chain Survey, which polled more than 1,800 shippers at the end of last year about supply chain issues and challenges they experienced in 2021 and how those challenges compared to 2020. They found that three quarters of businesses anticipate higher shipping volumes this year, and that's the highest percentage to report um, that kind of expected business growth in the seven-year history of the report. In addition, a majority of shippers surveyed, 71%, I think it was, also said they expect to see higher LTL rates in 2022. And that's an 11% increase compared to what the survey showed last year. Uh, the, other, the respondents also overwhelmingly said they expect to see continued um, capacity constraints. Uh, this survey is packed with a lot of data about the supply chain in general, including information about trucking, last mile in warehousing, ports, and supply chain technology. And the gist is that shippers are expecting more of the same uh, that they experienced last year. And it's especially due to the impact of the Omicron variant as the new year gets underway. And our, our listeners may remember if they were tuning in last week, we talked a lot about how the Omicron variant um, is affecting um, supply chain issues globally. Uh, so that concern really continues. Victoria, what are some of the other issues that shippers are dealing with now? Delayed shipments is a big one. Um, the survey found that 57% of shippers experienced delays with truckload shipments last year, and that compares to 42% um, in 2020. And about a third of shippers said they were challenged with on-time inland container deliveries last year, and that's nearly double the rate recorded in 2020. Um, another interesting note, the survey also tracked an increase in the use of residential shipping services recently. Um, about 43% of the shippers surveyed said they'll use those kinds of services this year, and that's up from 34% five years ago. So they're tracking a shift in the types of services that shippers are using. So maybe what we have been experiencing is just the new norm. Thanks, Victoria. And Ben, you wrote this week about the GS1 initiative to promote wider use of 2D barcodes. What's behind this move? Yeah, in our discussion, we're going from uh, very big items like containers and ships to very small ones like the barcodes on individual products here. Uh, one of the foundational tools in all supply chain work uh, is just the basic barcode. It's printed on everything from retail items on the store shelf to logistics units throughout the warehouse, whether they're pallets or totes or cases. 
Uh, and users, of course, can link that code with any sort of data, usually price checks for the retail items or location and quantity for the warehouse items. So this week we heard about an effort to update the basic vertically striped barcode that we all know to a new design that could hold much more data. Uh, the current version is also known as a UPC, that's Universal Product Code. And the new one that uh, people may have seen for a couple of years around already is called a two-dimensional or a 2D barcode. Uh, it looks a little bit like the soldier's camouflage or like a QR code. So the change is being led by GS1. Uh, they're a not-for-profit information standards group. And I actually met with them this week at the National Retail Federation show. It's an NRF trade show uh, for retailers uh, that was held in New York. GS1 says that the new barcodes uh, will be able to communicate far more data than a basic price tag. They could add information about product sustainability, traceability, ingredients, packaging, also specific batch and lot numbers, expiration dates, it goes on and on. Uh, another benefit of the new design is that it's much easier for scanners to read them than the current codes. Uh, the current ones can be obstructed in conditions like a steep reading angle, bad lighting, wrinkled labels. Uh, so the new ones can uh, help make reading much easier than that. Well, Ben, uh, 2D barcodes do offer a lot of great improvements. And as you mentioned, they have been around for a while. So why aren't they already in use for products that we normally get every day? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it turns out basically that uh, many companies just don't have the technology yet that they need to use them. Uh, that the, the UPC codes have been around for 50 years, uh, five decades. Uh, and so their uh, technology background foundation for them is uh, very well established uh, universally in use. So at the NRF show, uh, GS1 was sharing what it calls a barcode capabilities test kit. And that helps retailers evaluate their readiness to make the transition. Companies can use that kit to measure their ability to process the new codes, both with their front-end scanning hardware, like you see in the self-checkout aisle at the grocery store, and also the back-end software systems that process that data. Uh, it's part of an effort by GS1 called Sunrise 2027. It's an optional migration plan for companies that want to invest in the changes they need to read and process the new codes. Uh, it's important to say that the basic UPC striped version isn't going away and no company is required to change, but this uh, test kit will help guide brands through the transition if they wish to. Of course, NRF is a retail trade show, so GS1 was focused on point of sale scanners used at retail sites, but all these upgrades apply equally to warehouse work and applications also, according to Carrie Wilkie, she's a senior vice president with GS1 I spoke with, and applied in the DC, those supply chain benefits with much more data could include uh, benefits like inventory management, recall readiness, sustainability, uh, ethical sourcing, product authentication, brand trust. Uh, so there's a lot of benefit to be had uh, for companies that choose to go down this road. Yeah, certainly those more sophisticated barcodes can contain a lot more data to be able to improve a lot of operational areas. We'll continue to scan that market in the future. Thanks, Ben. We, we will continue to scan it. Exactly. Thanks, Dave. So we encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Jason Haith of OEC Group Louisville for being our guest today. 
We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our 11-part limited podcast series from CSCMP's Supply Chain Quarterly on the top 10 supply chain threats. Search on your favorite podcast platform to subscribe and to listen to the past episodes. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Forged from decades of industry experience, Aptian Proof of Delivery supports global delivery fulfillment operations with the tools they need to increase efficiencies, gain real-time visibility, automate communications, and enhance the delivery experience for customers. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service, reduce cost, and drive growth. Aptian Proof of Delivery can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we will examine the ongoing supply chain congestion and how it affects small shippers in particular. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.